clearly the schedule, whether it's football or basketball, takes Tennessee to places or sees opponents come to Neyland Stadium. They don't often see that much. Well, COVID kind of put a wrinkle in that. And yet again, it seems Texas A&M has reached a point in time in Tennessee's schedule, whether it's a basketball SEC championship game in Tampa or whether it's meeting again on the football field and it's a crucial point in both of their seasons. You know the gentleman. There he is to the right of the screen. He's one of my favorites. Last time Mark joined us, all I wanted to do for 30 minutes was talk about the uniforms he had in the background. In my opinion, he has one of the best collections I've ever seen. It is Mark Passwaters from our friends over at Aggie Yell. Mark, I'm going to tell a story on the air, and then you can sit there and confirm or deny it. Yes or no, did we see each other at SEC Media Days in Nashville, and could I not see you because of, we'll just say, I couldn't buy you beverages because of unforeseen circumstances, yes or no? That is true. Yeah, we ran, so, in, we ran into each other during a thunderstorm outside of the building. We did. Yeah. And you're coming to Knoxville, and this is a good time for rain check, pun intended, to make up for it when you see, I guess, when we rendezvous Friday ahead of Checker Nealon, Tennessee mm -hmm. takes on Texas A&M. I plan on actually saying yes to that. Tell me where we are right now with this Texas A&M team who – Look, brother, speaking of Nashville, you thought maybe that Jimbo would have at least wanted to address Bobby Petrino as his new offensive coordinator. This is the story that kind of each week has a new chapter. Where are we now at the midway point in the season? Well, Bobby Petrino is not the problem. Absolutely right. not the problem. Their relationship, not the problem. Uh, right now, the two big problems that AM has are the offensive line and the secondary. And that's pretty much about it. Uh, honestly, you can say the secondary has cost them both games. They played terribly against uh, Miami, and they played terribly this weekend against Alabama. That was absolutely a game they should have won. They were the better team. They had the better talent, but they did not. They were outcoached, point, point blank. They were outcoached. Jimbo Fisher made some decisions that were questionable at best, and DJ Durkin's refusal to make a change uh, – on how they were covering Luther Burton just absolutely killed them. You know, I keep looking back at that Miami game and I thought to myself, this is a perfect opportunity for Texas A&M to really take a power five opponent, stamp it and give Jimbo Fisher his first really true road win since he got to Texas A&M more to come on that. Cause I, I want to dive a little bit deeper into that. Some people believe that's a continuing trend. How do you believe right now this offense has fared? since Max Johnson has taken over for Connor Wigman, who some believe, some, you may be different, that Max Johnson might run this offense a hair better than Connor Wigman did. I would disagree with them. Okay. Uh, I think that uh, the proof is in the pudding. Wigman was having a very good year. Now, Max did a great job coming in in relief against Auburn. They definitely looked better as an offense with him at the, the helm in that game. But since then... Uh, you know, they're doing all right. I mean, looking at last year, you would take anything they've done in any game over what they did last year. Sure. Uh, you know, last weekend against a very good Alabama defense, they still put up 300 yards of offense. They moved the ball pretty consistently. Um, and, and before that, every game, they were over 400 yards of offense. And last year, 400 yards was a pipe dream. You know, they, they have moved the ball. They've been effective. But if you take a look at the last couple weeks, 
I don't think the production's really been there. They should have blasted Arkansas. They dominated that game um, in, far beyond the 34-22 score. And really, uh, I think they left quite a few points on the table last weekend that they probably would have had uh, with Wigman. But having said that, Alabama deserves a lot of credit, and the offensive line deserves a lot of blame. You know, I look at this Texas A&M team who every time they come out on the football field, top to bottom, I personally believe they don't have a better roster that they can go up against where they would they would lose that matchup. I think A&M has a better roster than Alabama. I genuinely do believe that, even though heads-to-heads that this past weekend advantage was Alabama. When you look overall at what Texas A&M, where they're at at this point in time in their season – would you say that Texas A&M still has so much more that they can show, or have we seen the best Texas A&M? Now it's just taking on lesser competition. I only ask that because I think there's a similar storyline that's to come this weekend against Tennessee. Your thoughts on the roster and who they still have to face? Oh, I think that, uh, yeah, there's definitely more that they could do. I think that Max Johnson could play better. Uh, getting Moose Muhammad back really into the rotation this weekend was big. I think that gives them now really five guys that at receiver who can do severe damage. Um, you know, I, I think that opportunity definitely knocks Ray and M. This is honestly, if you take a look at it, and this was not what we would have thought, uh, you know, when we talked uh, in that thunderstorm in Nashville. Yeah. You know, Tennessee is the biggest or the toughest opponent AM has left. And this is still a schedule that has Ole Miss and LSU on it. Yes. But, you know, you take a look at everybody in this conference, save maybe Georgia, and they all have pronounced flaws this year. And that is something that I don't know if we've ever seen it uh, since a and come into the SEC. Um, you know, the Aggies have problems in the secondary. We thought they might have problems on offense. That's not the case, uh, except for the offensive line, which is, you know, a real disappointment. Uh, Mrs. Ole Miss can't stop anybody. Mississippi mm-hmm. State's a garbage fire. Uh, Auburn, you know, A&M absolutely handled them. And then they go out and they, they give Georgia a dogfight. You know, go figure. Uh, LSU, this th- that defense is an abomination and it just makes no sense. Uh, Alabama is limited offensively. I mean, Milrow did a great job throwing the deep ball. That's all he can really do. Um. So you take a look at it, you know, Tennessee really hasn't exploded offensively like people thought they would. Uh, Kentucky obviously got a little bit exposed last weekend. Florida's not any good. You know, you just take, a, you know, everybody has issues. And it's going to be who papers over the issues the best, especially in the SEC West, that's going to come out on top in this thing. So, Mark, the big storyline, and I know it still was when we were at SEC Media Days, were new coordinators – new locations, some returning to old locations, but first year, whether it was the return, Mike Bobo looking at you, Georgia, or new faces, new DNA, is it safe to say when you look around the conference, when you talk about who those new names at the coordinator title position are, I think you can make the serious argument that Bobby Petrino might be one of the ones where the shoe has fit the best. As you mentioned, it's not the offense. That offense didn't cost him a win against Miami. My eyes Bob Petrino's offense looks like that things are working well at Texas A&M. If the defense could stop anybody, maybe there'd be a different record to talk about. Yeah, and it, I think that you're absolutely right. The The fit has been very good. The change has been profound. Right. Jimbo 
to his credit, has stayed out of it. Um, you know, it, it's funny when anytime they go conservative, they're like, oh, Jimbo's got the, the playbook. It's like, no, oh, shut up. Uh, you know, there are times when, you know, Petrino goes conservative. It's not unheard of. Right. Uh, you know, certainly Wigman was playing better. I think Max has played, you know, just fine. You know, he, he has his issues that are, you know, pronounced that have been there since his LSU days. Uh, but, you know, Le'Veon Moss, the running back, has really come along. The receivers have been great. Jake Johnson, Max's brother, the tight end, has been really good. I mean, they missed Donovan Green. That kid would, would be a superstar in this offense. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, but they're moving the ball. They're putting up points. They're competitive with everybody. And to be perfectly honest, if you go back and you look at that Miami game, if they had schemed it the way they schemed Alabama or if they uh, – Arkansas or Auburn, where they turn it loose and blitz, mm-hmm. AM wins that game going away because their problem was they could not get pressure with four guys, and that's all they were sending. If they had sat there and gone, okay, we're going after them, yeah, maybe you, you'll take some hits downfield. That's for sure because Van Dyke is good, but they would have put pressure on him. They would have gotten to him. And I think that would have changed the game. So honestly, you can take a look at this and there are, there are three big problems that have happened. The offensive line has not been good in either game. The secondary was not good in either game. Coaching was questionable in both losses. Mark Passwater is joining us here from AggieYell.com. I want to talk about coaching and what really is a main storyline. We talked about it. Tennessee was coming off the open date. So instead of us on Monday on our afternoon drive show on the flagship talking about, oh, last week's game here, which it was all steam ahead, steam ahead, Texas A&M. Is this as big of a storyline as the oppositions are making it out about Jimbo Fisher's inability to win a true road game? Now, some would have a different definition, Mark, of what a true road game is. But based on my research, You have to go back to the Miami game when Jimbo was still at Florida State for the last time he won a top 25 ranked. In my mind, that's what a true road game is. You got to throw COVID out. I know they came here and won in 2020. What do you believe that inability is about winning away from the state of Texas? Or if it's not that, where would you say that marquee road win has come and how would you define true road win? Uh, Well, that's a tough one. I think last year they just weren't a very good football team. They weren't winning. Sure. They weren't. They weren't winning at home, much less on the road. Um, I would say during his tenure, the best wins on the road have probably been Ole Miss. Um, you know, they they've won there a couple of times. Uh, outside of that, you know, if you take away the COVID year where they just beat everybody, um, and and they 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 win at Auburn too, uh, but. If you take away the COVID year, th- those are about it. Um, you know, it's interesting because they have played, it, they they and they they beat up on South Carolina, but okay, whatever. Yeah. Uh, um, but you know, they took Alabama to the wire last year mm-hmm. in, in Tuscaloosa with a bad team. Uh, you know, they have played tough games against tough opponents and been in them, they just haven't gotten over the hump. And that is a refrain that just goes back not only for for road games, but home games too. I mean, Alabama last week, you know, there there was. That was the golden opportunity. Uh, You beat Alabama 
you're in the driver's seat for the SEC West. You know what the the playing field is in front of you. Right. You know, all the advantages were there, and they just didn't get it done. I look at this Texas A&M team under Jimbo Fisher, and I think I know everybody wants to talk about buyouts because Jimbo just isn't getting it done. There's no question that he's recruiting, that the NIL has helped, that there is so many. He has played the game that is college football today perfectly. It is about execution at the end of the day. So when I say enter into the scene Tennessee this week, this is an opportunity where this has to happen for so many teams or for these two teams in so many ways. A&M needs to get off the snide from what happened against Alabama to kind of keep a strong finish. I mean, they could still go to a college football playoff, or excuse me, a New Year's Six Bowl game with a win. Tennessee stays in the hunt for the SEC East title after they're stubbed the toe against Florida. If you are Tennessee this weekend, and I know you've already highlighted secondary in the offensive line, how does Tennessee use last week's open date, and what have they seen against Alabama that really could be a path to victory to stay on track for an SEC East championship appearance? Uh, well, I think uh, two things that they can do is they know that uh, the pass rush, which has been very good, yep. you know, A&M and Tennessee are the, the two best in the conference going away in that category. Uh, I'd have those guys getting ready to to pin their ears back and come at, come at max. I think that uh, also one thing that you probably worked on all week is a quick passing game, The you know what they call the quick game, getting the ball out because – you know, Milt, Joe Milton can run a little bit, but he doesn't want to run. Oh. And, uh, you know, he, he likes to, to sit there in the pocket. And quarterbacks that have sat in the pocket the last couple of weeks against A&M have found themselves flat on their back. Mm-hmm. You know, they, they're up to 26 sacks. And I think that 23 of them have come in the last three weeks. I mean, it's an insane – or maybe four weeks – I mean, the numbers are insane. They had seven against Arkansas, they had seven against Auburn, they had six against Alabama. Uh, you know, they are consistently there. So those will be the two things that I'd be looking at, getting the ball out quick and making sure that Max Johnson gets the ball out quick. What do you believe the future of NIL is in College Station after, you know, a lot of people are keeping a close eye on how the IRS played a role or, or how the kind of 12th man NIL conglomerate whether it's coming together how it was presenting itself to me personally i don't have a problem with what texas a&m is doing if you want to refer to it as free agency if you want to refer to it as um a new way of the nfl soon to come minor league nfl whatever that's the way that college sports are today what is the future for nil in college station or for texas a&m after recent development say the last six months and kind of the path forward for the athletic department in college station. Yeah, they've, uh, they've made some adjustments that they think will get the IRS off their back. They've got a thing called Aggies United, which, mm-hmm. uh, I think is, you know, it's, it's moved some deck chairs on the Titanic for lack of a better term. Uh, you know, not much has changed. A&M is in a position where if there are no changes made to the NIL landscape, they win. If there are moderate changes, they still win. And if Congress comes in and mandates, you know, certain ways of doing things, and Ted Cruz was at the game Saturday and had a press conference before with Ross Bjork 
to talk about his legislation, uh, which he was very optimistic about, and I'm not. Uh, but if you get something through Congress, which I don't, I don't think is very realistic, because there are just some people who just flat don't care. I don't care what Cruz said. Um, you know, then they don't lose. They're, they then you have an even playing field with everybody else. And I think that was part of the thing why AM came out as strong as they did when NIL first became a thing. Because they're like, okay, we're in a position where we've got a rich alumni base. We can do a lot of stuff and we can get an advantage here, or we can force them to do something that makes the the, right. the situation uniform. So either way, they you know, there's not a real loss here for AM unless you want to sit there and say, oh, gee, they had to play this by the same rules as somebody else. You know, it's so funny because we just heard Mark Stoops in the last last night yeah. essentially say, hey, help us pay for more players. Alabama, you know, it's weird when Nick Saban says it last year about, well, hey, we got to find a way to be able to compete with some of the schools, Austin College Station. Yeah. When Nick Saban says it, it's kind of a, oh, well, Nick Saban's got a point. Then Mark Stoops, in his way of saying it, after they kind of get shellacked by Georgia, people are kind of shaking a stick over at Mark Stoops. Where do you believe NIL's heading in college sports, and is the toothpaste already out of the tube? Is there any way this can be fixed or relegated, for lack of better words, to find a way to make it work? Well, I don't have a problem with what Stoops said, to be perfectly honest. I, I, thought, I thought that the blowback this time was less than what it was with Saban when he sat there and accused A&M of buying all the players and then Jimbo went thermonuclear. Uh, I think that part of that in 2022 was those guys had been friends for so long, it felt like a personal betrayal. Right. And, you know, and Jimbo didn't take that well, which I understand. When a friend kind of stabs you in the back, yes, you don't, you don't take it well. Now, conversely, was he wrong? Maybe a. I don't think it is the way that he made it out to be. He's towing the line, and it makes you look. But right. let's look inside the details. Yeah. yeah. Now, now after an extra year of that, does anybody really care? I mean, it, the exactly. adjustment. The adjustment has been made. It's kind of like, you know, when you got COVID the first time, you got sick. When you got COVID the second time, you coughed a couple times and went back to work. Uh, and I think that's kind of where we are. People, if people are outraged by what Mark Stoops said yesterday, they're not paying attention because that's what it is. Absolutely, there are there are players that are saying, you want me to come and visit your school, you have to pay me up front? That's ridiculous. But that's where we are right now. All these kids, I mean, Utah's giving every scholarship football player a car? Yeah. I mean... You know, SM, 1983 SMU was sitting there going, hey, hey, that got us the death penalty. You know, Eric Dickerson. <laughs> how's how's the sludge fun in Salt Lake City now these days? Yeah. yeah. I mean, Eric Dickerson and the gold Trans Am. Uh, you know, A&M bought the dang thing for him. He goes and he drives it to Dallas. Yeah. You know, nice job, guys. Uh, insert your Aggie joke here. But, you know, you take a look at everything that when we were growing up, watching college sports right that the things that we were told were bad are now commonplace and people i think have made that adjustment and really is the toothpaste out of the tube 
or are the lights on when the toothpaste came out of the tube? It's a really good point. I um I'm looking at the talent that's landed at Texas A&M, whether it be because of the NIL initiative, whether it be because it's the best place to win. When I look at a product like Walter Nolan, who his senior year played here locally in Knoxville, and he's coming back here from Powell, that guy could have played anywhere. He was the number one recruit in many publications for a reason. I look at a guy on that defensive line who is a massive, massive problem for a lot of teams, whether it's the pin the ears back if you like to stay in the pocket what have you seen development-wise out of a guy who was, okay, kind of raw, 18 years of age, let's see what ends up happening, 19-year-old, soon-to-be 20-year-old, you look at him this year and you go, oh, that guy who's got the big zero on his chest, he's a big problem for a lot of people, and I think Joe Milton has watched a lot of film on him the last couple of hours. Well, if he's looking at zero, he better look at three, too, because McKinley yeah. Jackson next to him is a beast in his own right, and I think that those two may be the best defensive tackle combination in the country. They're I think it's fair. Really uh Nolan's uh Nolan's improvement has been pronounced. He has been absolutely dominant. And that that's the problem when you have Jackson next to him because Jackson had a an incredible second half of last year. When they blocked him one on one, he just destroyed people. So now he's getting the double teams and Nolan's getting man one on one matchups and he's just demolishing people. Yeah. Uh, he's so quick off the snap. You know, he's a huge guy. He may be 300 pounds, but you can't really tell. I mean, but he's so quick. His footwork's so good, and he can get in on these guys and kind of move them before they even get set. And I mean, he's got 22 tackles, eight tackles for loss, and four sacks for a, a defensive tackle halfway through a season. Those are huge numbers for a defensive tackle at the end of a season. And, you know, he's just – it's just been amazing. And if – you know, if AM could get a holding call, just one, uh, you know, his numbers would be even higher because, you know, you'd have that fear. Uh, I took some pictures uh, during the uh, Auburn game where literally the guy is pulling his shirt off. And there he is, like the avenging angel, right over Peyton Thorne. <laughs> it, it, it's just amazing. <clears throat> but yeah, this kid has taken a huge leap forward uh when i was doing my midterm grades last night or my midterm awards i said edrin cooper the linebacker is the mvp of the defense because he's been fantastic no one was right there and i mean i felt bad not saying that it wasn't him because the work that he's done at an arguably more difficult position has been phenomenal I think the best place to close with you is where we opened. And I know that the clicks, everybody loves drama. They love, you know, bacon sizzle. They love venom. What's the rest of the season look like for Texas A&M? Let's assume, let's assume you decide win or loss. I think the point spread's perfect. Last week, Action Network says, well, Tennessee's a seven-point favorite next week when this line comes out. And I looked at their article, and I turned to my co-host, and I go, if this is anything more than three and a half or four points, I'll buy you dinner. Comes out as three, and I said, these are two evenly matched teams. Balls get the three home field advantage points. Yeah. You uh, dictate how it plays out, but what does Texas A&M look like, win or loss in Knoxville, and how does the Bobby Petrino year one saga kind of come to a nice close in December slash January after this? Well, I mean, if AM wins, then you take a look at that schedule, and all of a sudden, like I said, they're 
very big flaws in everybody else they play. They, if you beat Tennessee, you're five and two. You have play Abilene Christian, Mississippi State, yeah. and South Carolina at home. Okay, you're at eight. Your two bugaboos left are Ole Miss and LSU. And LSU, I mean, literally has to score every possession to, to stop somebody. Um, you know, they don't, their defense is not, I think it's 121st in the country. Yeah. I mean, it's just abysmal. And their offensive line isn't any good either. So Jalen Daniels is running for his life. Yeah. Uh, Ole Miss, I mean, the team that the Arkansas team that AM just basically took the hammer to went into Oxford and gave them everything they could handle. Uh, you know, they they moved the ball up and down the field on them. You know, the offense is there, but again, the defense isn't. So you take AM's defense and put them up in there with that pass rush, and you see the, the opportunities become you know manifest. Right. The chances of winning there are better, you know, especially Death Valley than they've ever been. Sure. You know, so then all of a sudden, if you can run the table, that's 10 win team. And that's the yes, bowl, yeah. that's cotton bowl. That yeah. it'd be the sugar bowl if it wasn't in the rotation for the playoff. Right. You know, so you know, the opportunity there is is big. And I mean, honestly, even if they lose, they're still nine and three if they they do what they should do. You know, basically the big deal for AM is if they can slow down anybody's deep passing game and they don't get Max Johnson killed they're probably going to be in a position where if they're not a favorite in every game, it'll be really close just because of that defense. Kind of like what they're facing this weekend, taking on Tennessee. You could argue there should be a pick them, but of course Vegas has to make things interesting. Uh, Mark Passwaters, there, you're coming to Atlanta, Hartsville-Jackson. Just me, just me. Might be my least favorite airport in the United States of America. I always get delayed out of Atlanta. I'd rather sit in LAX, Miami, LaGuardia, or Detroit before I go through Atlanta. So praise and prayers for you because that airport can get some people on their worst or bad behavior when they go through that gate. Oh, well, you know, I've always figured that my version of hell is flying into Hartsfield and then getting stuck on the 610 loop around Houston, you know, for, for eternity. And, you know, that, that would be about as bad as it gets. So yeah, I'm got, I'm flying into Hartsfield. I'm not real excited about it, but you know, hopefully it's a, uh, you know, quick in, quick out and you know, we get on with our lives. Mark, we appreciate the time, brother. Thank you. No problem, Tyler.